Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. What's good, Alaska? This is Scott Levesque, and you're listening to the Daily Dose of the Must Read Alaska podcast. Hey, thank you guys so much for joining with me today. I want to welcome you all. And of course, before we get started, it's the same, same thing. You know this song and dance by now. Just asking you to take one quick second and give us a five-star review. You can do that in a variety of ways. You can do it on the Apple Podcast app. You can do it on Google Podcasts. You can do it on Spotify. But we just ask that you give us a five-star review. It's been incredible. We have over 100 reviews now. We're closing in on 110, and we're trying to get to 150 now. But please, just take one second and do that. Additionally, if you also want to take that extra mile, that extra step, which I know there are some of you out there, go ahead and give us a written review. That helps tremendously as well what all this does is it helps us with our ranking we are in the top usually now 50 of uh the apple podcast government section and our our actual episodes are ranking as well now so we want to thank you guys for that so it helps us with ranking search engine optimization and it helps us when people are searching the topics that we are discussing on a daily basis so if you have a second we just encourage you to do that and if you're one of those extra mile people why don't you go ahead and just give us a written review as well? That'd be phenomenal. All right, let's get into it today. There's a lot to talk about, as usual. This never ceases. Politics, culture, always on the forefront of everybody's mind. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Let's go to uh, the federal level right now. And, and that's this. There was a new CDC video that sort of pointed out a couple things. And one of the main takeaways from that was the fact that there's this idea that masks are going to be the new normal for the foreseeable future. Not just until this, quote, pandemic is done. Not just till you know, we feel like we've got COVID under control or until we have certain amount of vaccination percentage done within the United States. No, no, no. We were told a lot of things. And like a lot of things that we've been told during this pandemic, the goalposts are changing. Now, when you watch this video, you can find it at Must Read Alaska. It's under the... Article title, Is the Federal Government Now Pushing for New Normal of Mass? New CDC Video Academic Literature Points to Permanency. Now, here's the thing. There's not an outright statement that says masks are going to be here forever. But the implication, the subtextual context to what's going on in this video certainly, certainly seems to point to the fact that there's going to be masks for the foreseeable future. couple of things. I'm going to read this quote. From the article, the evidence is clear. Masks can help reduce your chance of COVID-19 infection by more than 80%, said Dr. Rochelle Walensky in a new YouTube government promotional video, Propaganda. Masks also help protect the flu, coronavirus, and even just the common cold. Do you see what happened there? Do you see what happened there? Guys, this is why I get so irate. This is exactly why I... I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. I told you so. This is how it works. It's pretty simple. Listen, human nature and power is pretty simple. Once you start gaining traction, the line is never enough. You're always going to cross over. 
And this is just another example. Again, listen to this first two statements. Because there's a switch there that the doctor makes that associates coronavirus with already long-standing illnesses. So to, as to group them together, and now they're all one and the same. Ready? The evidence is clear. Masks can help reduce your chance of COVID-19 infection by more than 80%. I'd love to see those. Love to see those results. Because that has not been the case the entire time. Remember, keep in mind, there was plenty of speculation about masks in general from just a few months ago. We know what Dr. Zink said here in Alaska. We know what Dr. Fauci said. But now everything's been reversed. Masks are the key. Masks are it. 80% effectiveness in transmission rate. Okay, but here we go. The next sentence, masks also help protect from the flu, coronavirus, or even just the common cold. So why am I harping on this, Scott? What's the big deal? The switch is this, and I think probably you guys all know this, but I'm just going to call it out, okay? The switch is this. The idea now is it's not just effective to stop COVID-19. Oh, no, no, no. Because of its 80% effectiveness, or at least that's what the doctor's saying here, it's also going to be effective against those pesky common things that happen all the time, like the flu or even the common cold. Goes on, in combination with other steps like getting your vaccination, washing hands, and keeping physical distance, wearing your mask is an important step you could take to keep us all healthy. Guys, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. There, this, is the, this is the next step. This is the setup to control. It just is. I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist. Listen, I'm not going down the rabbit trail, all that. It's just what I'm reading and seeing. That's it. I'm not sitting here thinking that, you know, there's there's uh, microchips being put into the vaccination. Like, I'm not even going down that road. That's not something I'm not going down. But the reality is this. Just by the rhetoric, there are steps that are pushing forward for control. So now it's not just wearing your mask to prevent COVID-19. Oh, no, no, no. Now we're, this, this is so great, we're going to push it for the common cold or, or the flu. And not only that, you, the other things you need, it can't just be masks because that's just not the most effective. You have to combine that with getting a vaccine or getting your flu shot. You got to combine that with making sure you're six feet away from people. Keeping in mind, I've flown on planes next to two large Samoans where there was no way to even get a foot from one another. The bottom line is this. This is very much a power play. If you guys don't remember, in March of 2020, Fauci said this. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask when you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a droplet. But it's not preventing the perfect perfection, protection excuse me, that people think that it is. And often there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. That's still to this day, by the way. If you watch in the airports, you see people touching their face, their mask, their face, and everything. They do not know how to wear a mask properly because they're not, they don't need to. This is the general public. 
His remarks came during, and this is from the article, came during an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes. In a 2020 memo, he wrote, masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting unaffected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out the virus, which is true. And I'm not going into the droplet counts and what the microns are and all that, because we all know the literature on there. I mean, if you've been you know, watching any part of this for the last year and a half, you realize that the micron difference between what a mask is, and it's really the N95 PPE, that's the only mask that is actually truly effective. These gaiters that people got over their face or these cloth masks that people have are not effective at all. Just based on the science of how large the violet, uh, the virus droplet is in microns as compared to the weaving of your fabric in the mask itself. So you have that. It goes on. The typical mask you buy at the drugstore is not really keeping out the virus, which is a small enough to pass through material. It might, however, provide some slight benefit and keeping out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. Later, he said that comment required context, excuse me. Now keep in mind, he changes his mind. This is, this is Fauci again, based on that comment. I don't regret anything I said then, because in the context of the time in which I said it, it was correct. We were told in our task force meeting that we have a serious problem with the lack of PPEs. Gee, where were you getting those from? He said in an interview with CBS Evening News. I'm telling you, here, here's the problem. The problem is this. We are once again moving the goalposts. And by the rhetoric of the CDC, by Fauci, and by many in power, there is a absolute and unequivocal move towards control. There is. It was never truly about trying to move past the virus to try to stabilize what was being called a pandemic here. No. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, cases now again are creeping up in those states that require masks full time, that are in lockdowns, that are uh, restricting the general public. And the funny thing is, is early on, guys, early on, if you remember, once they did the first lockdown in Alaska, for example, it came out that the worst thing you could do for a population in a pandemic, particularly this one with the virus in which it spreads and how it spreads, is to lock people down. The virus transmission was not happening when people were outside walking around. It wasn't happening. Now, all of a sudden, we're locking people down. They're cooped up in their home. And oh my gosh, guess what happens? The virus spreads. Because you can't prevent a virus from spreading. You can't. How do I know that? Well, look at the people now who are getting COVID-19. The White House press secretary got COVID-19. Our acting mayor at the time got COVID-19. There are many people who have followed lock and step all of the regulations, or at least portrayed they lock, they followed lock and step, that got COVID. So I don't want to hear that COVID is the answer. Speaking of COVID, of course, many of you know, Biden and his administration now gave sort of their final deadline 
OSHA said that by January 4th, all organizations that have over 100 people need to make sure that their employees are vaccinated or have weekly tests. Now, again, not 100% of where on how organizations that have employees that are vaccinated versus unvaccinated keep track of that, what they're supposed to designate, again, if you get what I'm saying. But also, I'm also curious as to this. How are you supposed to track when people have to get tested week to week to week? Who's paying for that cost? My assumption is it's the employer. So what's the employer going to do? Probably pass it down to the employee. It is going to be a mess. Of course it's going to be a mess. Suzanne wrote about it. I must read Alaska under the title, Biden Official Response to Federal Court Suspension of Vaccine Mandate on Businesses. Do it anyway. That's the essential response. Hey, this is tied up in court right now, but I don't really care. The deadline still exists. Do it anyways. Now, keeping in mind this, the deadline, the deadline to be met in reality means that employees must get vaccinated at least two months ahead to comply with the January 4th deadline. So that's this month. Employees that are going to be forced to get vaccinated and companies that need to, again, comply with this are going to have to make sure their employees are vaccinated this month. And if they're not vaccinated, they have to come up with a system that ensures that those unvaccinated employees are tested every week. Now, the question remains, okay? I've had many questions about this new protocol because there's so much ambiguity, there's so much unknown, which leads to what? Problems. When there's not clear communication, it leads to problems. That's just reality of life. I don't care if you're in the federal government or if you're in a marriage. That's, a pro- that's what happens. So here's the deal. I've questioned a lot of things. What are the protocols? How are you going to report this? When do you have to report this? All of that. Here's the other issue. What happens if an employee does get COVID? What's the ramifications? That's really my question. What are the ramifications if an employee who decides to not get vaccinated based on their personal decision still has a job because the employer is not going to fire them, which seems to be, frankly, few and far between because you know why? Here it comes together, guys. Maybe the light bulbs are going to go off. Because of the ambiguity as to the process in which, more specifically, those who are unvaccinated have to get tested, where that testing falls to, meaning who is monetarily responsible, and then how do they keep records of it? Do they have to hire somebody new? So not only do you have the overhead for a business of testing, but now you have the overhead of hiring somebody to keep track of all this, particularly probably in HR. So all of these overhead costs fall on the employer, which then makes the employer go, well, I'm not going to hire anybody or keep anybody that doesn't want to be vaccinated. Do you see how this works? Do you see how this works? The economics of this sanction, this mandate, this is how it works. Employers do not want to complicate their entire employee workflow based on a few people. Now, that may not be the case. There may be more than a few people that don't want to get vaccinated. But the reality is this. That is the economic downfall of this COVID-19 mandate. 
for those who do not want to get vaccinated. It is much more economically sound to remove those, to fire those, to get rid of those who do not want to get vaccinated because of this mandate. Ambiguity, overhead costs, organizational restructure to ensure that there's compliancy, but not only that, weekly uh, updating and, and reporting. It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And it's not going to get any better. It's not. I mean, it is just absolutely ridiculous. I'm not going to go through the entire court case. I would recommend you read the article. It has Biden's response in there. And essentially, Biden's administration just said, do it anyways, because, quote, we're going to win. I mean, that's that's my quote, I should say. But it's certainly, I mean, <laughs> by all accounts, that's exactly what they're saying. Do it anyways, because we're going to win, because there's no, we have precedent, they don't, so forth and so on. And, and listen. This is probably going to go to the Supreme Court if they take it. This is dangerous because the Supreme Court knows this. Whatever they set, obviously, is precedent federally. So, what's going to happen? This is, I mean, the Supreme Court has already surprised many by their decisions, particularly in the religious exemption realm, with a, with a certain case from Maine where the majority, including conservative judge, judges, voted against uh, individuals who were claiming in the case that their religious freedom, and particularly their religious exemptions, were not being, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, honored when it came to exemptions for COVID. And the court ruled against them, which was shocking when you have Judge Kavanaugh and Amy Cody Barrett, that was a shocking display. So this is, I mean, we're on real dangerous grounds here. And when I say dangerous grounds, what I mean is many want this to go to Supreme Court in the, in the, in the reality, in their reality at least, is that the Supreme Court is going to because it's overwhelmingly conservative, more conservative, maybe not overwhelmingly, but more conservative, they're going to rule in their favor. And I just don't know if that's the case. I don't know. I am concerned. I do want to see it go to the Supreme Court because I think we're going to need eventually a, a sort of final stamp on what is constitutional and what's not. But I am not 100% convinced that if it goes there, it's going to be ruled in the favor of those who believe that there was massive executive branch overreach. I just don't know if that's the case. All right, let's hit some local news here. And one of the local news that's very interesting is that Jamie Allard filed for, <clears throat> excuse me, Jamie Allard has filed a letter of intent to run for legislative office in 2022. Now, many of you know that listen to this podcast. I would say probably 99.9% .9 of you know Jamie Allard as the assemblywoman representing Eagle River, on the assembly currently one of possibly two conservatives. I mean, I give crystal Kennedy the nod there. She is fairly conservative, but Jamie is definitely the outright conservative. Uh, and for Jamie, there is, how do I put this? It has got to be absolutely infuriating and frustrating to be on, on the assembly. If you're Jamie Allard, and you're sitting there looking at a cross and seeing nine individuals who constantly want to make your life miserable, who constantly want 
you to be seen as weak or lack knowledge. I mean, they are, it's almost now, and this is because of the contentious relationship now. I mean, this is because of the save Anchorage. This is because of taking back Anchorage. This is, this, this goes just beyond Jamie Allard being conservative now. It's personal. There's so much. The politics on the assembly are far more personal than anything else now. And that's just the reality. And if I'm Jamie, I'm looking at the landscape, looking at the two recalls that happened in Midtown that failed miserably and going, the writing on the wall is clear. If I'm going to get any legislative agenda done, particularly for Eagle River, it's not going to happen at the assembly level. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that she's not getting stuff done. What I'm saying is, is that she has innumerable roadblocks. I mean, it is brutal. It is brutal. And remember, we've got those hot mic videos where Christopher Constant is here saying, well, I don't want to give Jamie Allard the power when voting on mass mandates. I mean, we all forget that these mass mandates suddenly went away when Forrest Dunbar was running for mayor of Anchorage. And it was, I mean, many of the general public didn't know, but there were <clears throat> a couple of different um, polls out there that showed that Bronson was ahead. So what did they do? To appease Eagle River, which is the reason why Bronson won, because Eagle River brought, I mean, they took percentage-wise a huge chunk of conservative votes over to Bronson. But when when Forrest and his team realized that, what did they do? Well, they just got rid of the, the mass mandate, which just goes to show you once again, as we talked about earlier, the mass mandate goalpost is just that. It's a movable goalpost. But with Jamie Eller now filing for legislative office, uh, or excuse me, filing to run for legislative office in 2022, I got to think to myself, she's looking at the landscape of Eagle River right now and saying, am I going to be more valuable and get more things done here at the local, local level? Or should I, should I do it at the state level? And I think that's a good question. I think she has a career. Uh, I think people of Eagle River love her. I think they love the fact that she's representing their conservative values. I, I don't think this is a bad decision at all. But it still remains. Eagle River is the and Chugiak really are the last two bastions of conservatism. Anchorage is very much a blue, uh, at least voting wise, a blue area now. This is not a purple. This is not even a, a little, you know, a slight uh, light red city anymore. It is. It is a blue city. It really is. You see that in the presidential election. And listen, guys. Here's I, I've got to. I've got to get. I've got to get Suzanne to, to post this. There's a, there's a quick video that shows the states that have mail-in balloting. If you only took mail-in battle, battle uh, wow. If you only counted mail-in voting from all 50 states, who would have won the presidency? And I think it was back in 2016. Guys, the entire map of the United States of America was blue. The indication being is this, mail-in balloting favors significantly the Democratic Party. It is absurd. I'm going to, I have to figure out how to do this. I might write a story on this. And the reason I'm writing a story 
is because it really represents a problem in Anchorage, which is Anchorage went for no apparent reason to a mail-in balloting system for their mayor and their assembly members and look at what happened. Look what happened. I mean, here's the thing. Anchorage, the assembly, will never have even a even a 50-50% chance of being well represented on both sides of the political spectrum until mail-in balloting is gone. There are far too many issues with the election integrity of that system for it to even be implemented. It is nuts. It is absolutely absurd. We talked with Stephanie Taylor yesterday, and she made it very clear that a lot of her constituents are concerned with election integrity as well. Not not the uh, the electronic, I can't even remember the name of it anymore. I blocked it out of my head. The system that was being in question. We're not even talking about those. We're talking about the fact that mail-in balloting is such a bad system because there are so many question marks. The way that you sign your ballot and all you have to, and, and the signature part even goes deeper because if you sign something and they don't feel like it's the same as your driver's license signature, then they won't count it. They'll let you know your ballot's not being counted. Then you have to cure your ballot or you have to go down and show your license. Like there's, it's just a nightmare as opposed to you going to a poll, having ID, getting the ballot in your area and, ro- and voting. Everything happens right there. There's identification confirmation, there's getting the correct ballot, and you have to be here. You have to be a resident that is not registered to vote in another state. I mean, the numbers don't lie. There are many people, including those in the recount or recall efforts, including those around the state that have done the sampling to show how many how many ballots are actually being sent to people out of state that no longer reside in Alaska or those who get a ballot in Alaska who are also registered voters in another state? It's unbelievable. And yet we still continue to do this. So J.B. Allard is looking at a possible legislative run. I don't know if it's House or Senate. I think with the redistricting, there's obviously uh, a wait-and-see approach there, but could be interesting. But Eagle River is also in the midst of possibly getting some juice pushed into the Eagle exit effort. Sean Murphy, who is now the chairman of the group, is, uh, is a guy who wrote a, a interesting, very interesting article uh, on Monday. And it's under the heading of Sean Murphy writes, Eagle River needs to have this discussion about incorporating separately. And so I think what you're going to see Uh, We're going to try to get Sean Murphy on the podcast here this week. But what you're going to see is you're going to see the fact that he is going to reinvigorate the Eagle exit effort. He wrote a a really good piece about the reasons why this effort needs to happen. Now, I'm just going to read you their seven principles our government is founded on. Okay, These are his seven principles. Popular sovereignty, which gives the government its power. Excuse me. Who gives the government its power is the question. Republicanism. How are people's views represented in government? Federalism. 
How is power shared? Separation of powers. How is power divided? Checks and balances. How is power evenly distributed? Limited government. How is abuse of power prevented? And individual rights. How are personal freedoms protected? I do not see these principles being practiced in our current governing situation. Do you? And these are the, there are seven principles our government is founded on. This is what he is kind of pushing right now in terms of the reinvigorating of Eagle Exit. He is trying to rally the people of Eagle River to reinvigorate that idea of separating from the municipality. Is that a good idea? I don't know. To be honest with you, 100%, I, am, I have not looked at all the numbers. Now, he writes some interesting numbers. Okay. He answers some of these questions that a lot of people have, and, and they're good questions to ask. Hey, if we annex ourselves from the municipality, what's going to happen to our taxes? How are we going to be able to fund things? How are we going to be able to set up uh, systems in place to do what Anchorage does for us, whether it's solid waste management, whether it's uh, roads, all that. And here's what he says. First, will my taxes go up? This is from the article he wrote. Our 2020 study shows a revenue of 62 plus million in a year for general government and 105 plus million for education. For a community of 51,000 and a school district of 8,000, that should be sufficient. Please keep in mind, while under the Anchorage uh, jurisdiction, AD2's property tax alone increased 14.43% from 2019 to 2021, which total from 57,500, excuse me, which he wrote this, I'm reading this wrong, which total from 58 million to 66 million. We believe our community can do better. Second, will my services stay the same? This is roads, this is all that. We have an area of 1,050 square miles. Our roads are outsourced and made through a public-private partnership. Our utilities will all remain in place with no increases resulting from the change in local government. Most of our assembly district is covered by a volunteer fire department, and Jay Bear has its own fire and police, so there may be opportunities for cost savings and better service delivery. In 2021, as one example, we paid $8 million in property tax for public safety to the MOA, and we get three to four police a day. I think we could do better. Third response I get is silence. It can't be done, or we will never let, they will never let us detach from Anchorage. And that's what he goes on to talk about the seven principles of government. Here's the reality. I don't actually know if this is a good idea or not. I know there are a lot of people in Eagle River who are fed up with uh, being under the watchful eye of a municipality, particularly an assembly, that does not hold their values. So, and I get it. Many of them feel like they're being punished because Anchorage proper is going blue. I don't actually know what the long-term effect of this is. I don't know. I don't know all the numbers. He provided some numbers in his article. But the reality is, is when you go down to those line items, it's going to be very interesting. I don't know. I, I honestly do not know. But I can tell you this. Eagle River is sure fed up with what's going on in the municipality in general. They're really frustrated. There's a lot of people in Eagle River frustrated. That's not even anecdotal. If you just attended some of the rallies for Bronson during his campaign, if you went and saw some of the fundraisers and heard from many, you know, hundreds of people, you would realize Eagle River is not happy. 
So an exit would be interesting. Now what you have is an assembly that sees an advantage here. And you've got guys like Christopher Constant, Forrest Dunbar, who are like, hey, go ahead, leave. See, see, what, see what happens. Because in their mind, they understand a very, very sobering thought, which is this. If Eagle River is no longer a part of the municipality, Dave Bronson is not your mayor. It's Forrest Dunbar. Now, let me tell you what would happen. And I will say this, and this is where I don't know if actual Eagle River could, could keep up. It's one of those possibly good problems to have, but I'd have to see the projected uh, revenue for the newly eagled river municipality or whatever they would call it themselves. Is I would guarantee you, if Eagle River exited, there would also be an exit of people out of Anchorage into Eagle River. So the question remains this. Could Eagle River keep up with that, that influx? I mean, housing would be out of control because Eagle River is not that far from Anchorage. It really is not a bad commute. Even Eagle River to South Anchorage is not a bad commute. So you're going to have people that are just going to be like, I don't want to. Conservatives, they're going to move to Eagle River. They just are. They're not going to be part of a municipality that's going to be deep blue and control every legislative and executive uh, branch of government in, in Anchorage. It's just not going to happen. So I think it's going to be definitely interesting. It'll be very interesting. Uh, I'm curious about this whole Eagle River exit thing because I do think you're going to have people that know Eagle River is very conservative and those people who are conservative are going to go, I'm just going to live there. I'll take the extra 15-minute commute to know that I'm going to have my values uh, upheld when it comes politically, both fiscally and potentially socially. I don't really know. But I would, I would be interested to see how many, if Eagle River did separate from the municipality, what the actual turnout would be with people who decide to move to Eagle River. I think you'd see it over the next, I think you'd see substantial growth over three to five years. Then the question is really, can Eagle River handle that? Even Chuggy Edge, because I think that would be sort of, uh, in, in the Seattle you carry, you call it kind of a, a bedrock or a, a bed system for, um, for people working in Anchorage. It just continues to go out. So I think Chugach would also see that. And there's plenty of land out there. It's just a matter of can developers get out there and, and build. That's the question. So it's an interesting perspective here. Okay, my time's up. Listen, <clears throat> I'm not feeling good. I got a little bit of sickness in me, but I, I powered through this. So if I don't sound as chipper as I was uh, in the past, it's just I'm fighting through a little cold. Regardless, uh, if you have not had the opportunity, and I suggest you do, to check us out on Facebook, YouTube, MeWe, Parlor, Twitter. Listen, we're on all of those platforms, and it's under the same handle, Must Read Alaska, all one word. Additionally, if you love this content that we do, we try to put out at least once uh, a week uh, a show with Suzanne and John Quick, and uh, sometimes they have guests. I try to do my show at least an additional three times a week, if not four times a week. If, if you love this content, please do us a favor. Go to mustreadalaska.com, and at the top right, go to the donation page. Hit that button. We want to make sure we continue to provide this content. We love doing this for you guys. And, of course, listen, we're trying to get to 150 reviews by the end of the year, particularly on 
Apple Podcast. We're at 106 right now, but we're trying to get to 150 because you guys have been phenomenal. We're rising in the rankings. It's been great, and it's only going to get better. So we want to thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts, our listeners, our readers, and our supporters. You guys make this this entire operation go. I want to thank Suzanne Downing and John Quick. I love riding the coattails because it's an easy ride. But uh, listen, until tomorrow, take care, Alaska. Alaska.